Let's pray together. Lord, your word truly is sweet. Your commandments are good. We delight in the scriptures that you've given us to know you better. And Lord, we pray as we spend our time together this morning that we would grow and be challenged, that, that we would see you holy, 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 high and lifted up. And what a beautiful prayer that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you and know you more this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, for his sake, amen. Um, we are done with Luke and in, in sort of uh, limbo between uh, Luke and First Thessalonians. And uh, so something that was on my heart, a, a few months ago, I was talking with a friend of mine and sharing some discouragement uh, about how after a particular Sunday of preaching, I received some critical negative feedback about my sermon. And my discouragement wasn't that somebody was critical. I can handle criticism. I'm honest enough to accept the fact that uh, it's often correct and the Lord uses it to grow me and that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. My discouragement was this, that in 30 minutes of teaching about Jesus, this person had absolutely nothing to say about how they were encouraged to love Jesus more because of my preaching. And that was really devastating to me. That, that made me want to sort of just give up preaching. It broke my heart. You know, if I get up here and I have an opportunity to speak to you about what the Bible teaches and about what the Bible means, all I want from that time is like the song we just sung, for our church to see Jesus. That is what I long for, that we would love him more, desire him with all of our hearts, that we would be resolved to seek his face and to forsake all else in pursuit of him. And more often than not, if I receive any feedback when it comes to my preaching, it is negative or critical. Don't misunderstand, okay? That in itself does not bother me. I expect it. I've grown to actually appreciate it because it helps me grow and get better, but only rarely do people approach me after a sermon and say that they were really moved in their hearts, that it increased their love for Jesus, okay? Now, I see two primary reasons for this. I'm going somewhere, so hang with me. One is that I'm not a very good preacher, and I still have a lot of growing to do. That is totally fair. I accept that as a legitimate reason for this kind of outcome. And I assure you, I continue to work on improving uh, I've heard it said that you have to spend something like 10,000 hours doing something before you master it, and I think I'm up to like 200 hours of preaching, so it's going to be a while. But it's my ongoing desire to grow in my effectiveness of communicating the Scriptures to you, and I do labor at that. But the other primary reason is this. Uh, the other primary reason why someone might sit under one of my sermons for 35 minutes or so and not see Jesus is that we have a tendency as people in general to make more of the bad than we do of the good. That we, we tend to notice the negative more than the positive, don't we? Satan loves to keep us focused on the blemishes so that our eyes don't perceive the beauty. Uh, I can make a whole plate of macaroni and cheese for my children, but if I put a mushroom in there, all they're going to see is the mushroom and they're not going to eat the macaroni and cheese, right? Um, I've been tempted to throw out a whole theology book that I've mostly enjoyed reading because of one page that I didn't like. 
This week I was driving in my Mazda and uh, I have this headlight that keeps going on and off and it's an electrical issue that I can't seem to solve and I had this thought, I just get rid of this car and get a new one, right? I'm, I'm willing to get rid of a car because of a small issue with a headlight. Uh, as many of you might know, I would throw out a whole hamburger because of one pickle. You see what I'm getting at, okay? Um, often when I'm listening to someone speak, if in the course of their talking they say one point I don't like or I don't agree with, that becomes all I can think about for the rest of the time that they're talking. And I'm not suggesting that this kind of behavior is all bad, okay? I hope you listen to my preaching very carefully and with a critical ear because I am not Jesus. I don't expect you to think that. And I also think that it's perfectly acceptable sometimes to throw out a hamburger because a pickle has touched it, okay? But what I'm suggesting is that I work hard to make my Sunday morning teaching about Jesus, about how wonderful he truly is. And if you leave here on a Sunday morning and you have not caught a glimpse of that, maybe I've failed to do my job. And for that, I'm sorry. But it's also equally possible that you have failed to do your job, isn't it? That you have failed in our time together to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit excite your heart with a glimpse of Jesus. So after talking through some of this with my friend, uh, he suggested I should teach Maricopa Springs about how to listen to a sermon. And so I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity to do that as we're sort of in this no man's land. So we're going to do things a little bit different here this morning. Normally I get up here and the first thing I say is open your Bibles with me to some passage of Scripture. What I want to do instead is sort of try and peel back the curtain for you a little bit to share with you what goes on in my heart my desires as I prepare to preach. I also want to share with you some of my expectations for you as you listen and sit under my preaching. And I want to use some different passages of Scripture to simply share some of those ideas with you, things that I think it's necessary for you to do as a receiver of the Word as I come before you as a preacher of the Word, okay? And it's going to be different because I'm not going to go deep into any one particular passage of Scripture, so I know many of you are used to that. It's not going to happen. And admittedly, there's a lot more that I could say regarding this topic, so this is not uh, exhaustive, and I won't put you through a five-year series on it, okay? It's a start. So give me some grace here. Uh, I hope not to create misunderstanding. So if I say something that strikes you as weird or silly or something like that, come talk to me afterwards so that I have a chance to clarify. I'm also going to give you the heads up. One last warning, this is longer than usual, so buckle up, okay? I have a handout for you in your bulletin that hopefully will help you kind of follow along, and uh, if you're the note-taking type, then this is right up your alley. If you didn't get one of those, there are some on the back table. Feel free to stand up and go grab one. We've also got pens, I believe, on the welcome table back there if you are the type of person who can't leave here with a piece of paper that's got some blanks in it, okay? Um, so let's start with a short list of what I don't want to do as a preacher, and then a short list of what I do want to do, and then we'll dive into a couple passages of Scripture, okay? The first thing I don't want to do is inform you. If you're the note-taking type, that's where you fill in the blank, okay? I don't want to just inform you. I don't want to just give you information when I preach, okay? Actually, this is kind of ironic because the note sheet that you have in your hand uh, I think does exactly the opposite. 
But in this case, I do want you to have a copy of this information in the future so that you can refer back to it. This is why I don't title my sermons, because I don't think the information is most important. It's why I stopped giving you notes several years ago that you can follow along with. Because when I'm up here, I don't want to primarily reach your mind because information alone very rarely motivates us, okay? Here's two great examples. Recently, the government changed the regulations for restaurants so that they now have to post the calories of the food that you eat on their menus. You've probably noticed this. You would be surprised how many calories are in a value meal with a hamburger, without pickles, fries, and a drink, okay? And yet, you know what? Fast food and restaurant sales are at an all-time high in our country. Are you really surprised by that? How can it be? Well, the government expected that giving people information would change their behavior, but that almost never happens. Another great example, if you have a credit card, you get that statement in the mail, and right there, Big on the front page now, another government regulation is that the credit card company has to disclose to you how many years or maybe decades of your life you're going to be an indentured servant to them, paying off that credit card bill at the minimum payment, okay? And guess what? Credit card balances are at an all-time high in America because information is rarely sufficient to truly change behavior. So I don't want to stand up here and preach and just give you information because I don't think information alone is enough. My goal is to always reach your heart. We'll talk about that more in a bit. Next, I don't stand up here to entertain you. Uh, I would say tragically, some pastors are wonderful entertainers. They're overly focused on keeping people uh, entertained, charmed, amused. And I would say that if that ever becomes predominantly my mode of preaching that you should fire me and look for another preacher. I certainly don't want to be boring. I don't think that talking about Jesus needs to be dull. Fire me for that too, because Jesus was very engaging and relevant and creative as he taught and challenged people and encouraged them. But Jesus never taught so that people would make much of him, talk about him, and how entertaining he was. That was not his goal. If you desire to be at a church that's entertaining, then I'll just tell you now before we get into the next year of preaching that Maricopa Springs is probably not the best church for you, okay? Next, I don't want to shame or discourage you. I don't want to shame or discourage you. I admit that in my preaching, I do talk a lot about sin. I talk a lot about your sin. I talk a lot about my sin. But the reason is not because I want to make a reputation for myself as a fire and brimstone preacher who makes you hate yourself because of what a wretch you are before a holy God. The point is simply for us to be honest about our position before God so that we can see the glory of Jesus who loved us so much that he would rescue us out of the depth of that sin where we did not deserve even a shred of his kindness. The point of speaking about your sin is so that I can ultimately move us to the greater wonder of a God who loves you in Christ Jesus, who by grace saved you. And grace is meaningless if you don't first comprehend how desperately you need it. 
and you desperately need it. Next, I don't want to make you codependent. As I preach, I don't want you to ever think that you need me to understand the Bible. Because you don't. That's why I want you to have a Bible and to open your Bibles with me. I remember listening to a sermon a while, a while back, and the preacher started his message by saying, I'm going to give you ten tips on good relationships. Five of these I'm going to take from the Bible, and five of them I've learned from personal life experience. And I was devastated that he said that. And I listened to the whole sermon. Actually, the sermon was good. And in fact, all of his points were from the Bible. They were all biblical. But by telling his people that some of his wisdom was coming from his own life experience rather than from Scripture, he was making his people codependent upon him for wisdom, not dependent upon the Word of God, which is where he should have pointed them. Again, this is why I want you to have a Bible, because I am not wise Scripture is wise. It is the wisdom and power of God for salvation and godliness. And you could fire me tomorrow, and because you have the Scriptures and you have the Holy Spirit, all would be well. All of the wisdom you need for life and godliness is available to you, apart from Grady's preaching, because you have access to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. And if you want to be wise, ultimately don't come to me, come to the Scriptures. And if you do come to me, you know what I'm going to do? If you want wisdom from me, I'm going to say, let's open our Bibles and let's discover what God has to say about that. Finally, in my preaching, I don't want to give you false assurance of salvation. I think there are some pastors preaching to their congregations And as they preach, they're actually leading their churches straight to the gates of hell by holding back what is true from the Word of God. Some preachers get in the pulpit and they tell their churches that God exists to make their life good and easy and that all you have to do is have faith in Jesus and heaven awaits you at the end of all of these trials regardless of how you live your life in this life. And that's not true. Because the work that God does in our hearts to convert us, to make us Christians, to make us followers of Jesus, it changes us entirely. And you need to hear that without the fruit of righteousness manifesting itself in your life and increasing over time, you may not have the new heart that God promises to give those who turn to Him in faith and repentance. And I try not to sugarcoat or soften what I say because I'm convinced when I get up here that although most of you in this room are Christians and you are in fact going to heaven, I know that some of you are not in fact Christians. You think you are because you go to church, you have a Bible at home and you're a pretty good person. Maybe you even give money to our church and you think that that helps kind of boost you through the door. But I want to be honest with you. I don't want to deceive you. I want you to hear the truth, even if it's hard. And even if at the end of hearing it, you decide to go looking for a different church with a softer message. I want you to hear the truth in my preaching. Because religion or even Christianity is not an adequate substitute for Jesus. Do you understand? The only thing that saves you from hell 
The only thing that makes you qualified for heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ atoning for your sins. That's it. And in order to truly, really accept that reality as yours, you have to place all of your trust in Jesus. You must love Him with all of your heart. You must abide in Him. You must seek to obey Him or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And for those who do trust Him, who do love Him, I'm sure it's the majority of you, be encouraged. Because no matter how weak your trust or your love for Jesus may be at any given moment, you belong to Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from His love. It is not the tenacity or the quality of your faith that saves you. It is the tenacity and the quality of your Savior who saves you. So those are a few things I don't want to do. Here are a few things I do want to do. First, I want to joyfully participate in the work of God to transform you. The Bible, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Christian life, all of these things are truly transformational. They are not merely informational. They are life-changing to the very core of your being. Honestly, when I preach, I don't really care whether you remember what I preached on come Wednesday. I confess sometimes I don't remember what I preached on come Wednesday. But what I do want is for God to do a work in your heart right here, right now, in this room, as ridiculously kind of gross as it is, so that you leave this place this sanctuary, more hungry and more desperate for Christ, filled with a greater love for Him, motivated by joy to seek after Him. I pray each and every week, not that God would help you remember what I say when I'm done, but that God would shape your heart to be like His heart as I preach. Next, I do want to encourage you I want you to be strengthened in your inner being as you see that whatever you are going through, God holds you in his mighty arms and he will not let you go. God's got this. I want you to know that because the spirit of God dwells within you and his word is available to you, that Christ Jesus will prevail upon your life. I want you to see that in spite of your sin, in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of your failures and your struggles, God's love and God's power is sufficient to shine in your weaknesses. Friends, I want you to be deeply and greatly encouraged by the truth of God every time that I get up here to preach. I also next want to make you a self-feeder. Sometimes you hear people say that they decided to leave a church because they weren't being fed there. Man, I hate that excuse. I really do. Because it elevates the preacher, it elevates the programs of a church to an almost idolatrous place. As if someone else is ultimately responsible for your spiritual growth. You will be required to give an account for you before God at the end of all things. And no excuses will suffice on that day not even blaming a bad church. I do hope that what I say here on Sunday nourishes your soul, but my dream is basically to work myself out of a job 
truly. You have Jesus. You have the scriptures. You have one another. You have the Holy Spirit. So go feed yourself upon Christ. Go drink deeply from his word and his spirit. Don't wait for me on Sunday, please. Don't place the responsibility for your nourishment entirely upon me as the preacher, as if you could eat on Sunday and survive a week until the next Sunday. Go taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. And you don't actually need me for that. You have everything that you need in Christ alone. Next, I want to grow your affection for God and His Word. I love that word, affection. It's rich. The greatest commandment is to love God. And as I preach and lead our church, I want to see you delight in Jesus. I want to see His love for you soften your heart. I want to see joy and peace invade your soul as Jesus embraces you and you pull yourself closer to Him. I want to see all the other good things of this life find their right place under the feet of Jesus because you are so deeply endeared to Christ that nothing else can put a claim on your heart. Finally, I want to press you towards greater holiness. The Bible says, without holiness, no one will see God. The Christian life is not merely a statement of belief that you say at one point. After that statement of faith and trust in Christ comes a lifelong journey of learning to do what Jesus Christ himself did, to be obedient to him and his commandments, to desire what he desired, to act like he acted, to be holy as he himself is holy. When I preach, I want to call you to forsake sin and leave the darkness of worldliness behind, to abide in Christ and live his life out in you in holiness. All right, that's enough. Now let me give you a few principles from Scripture about how to receive preaching. First, receive preaching with humility. James writes in his epistle, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The word that the ESV translation, that's my preferred Bible translation, translates here as meekness is a Greek word that uh, is synonymous with humility. Receive the word with humility. I looked it up in a Greek lexicon to get a detailed definition. And this is what I found. I put this in the notes if you want to look there. It says, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. Let me read that again. This is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. The point is that we are not supposed to place ourselves above what Scripture teaches. We are supposed to place ourselves under what Scripture teaches. One of the reasons why the church, I think, is in decline in our culture is because many churches think they actually know better than what the Scriptures teach. And so they go beyond what God has decreed. They place themselves in authority over the Scriptures. 
Now listen, I'm not suggesting, as I say, receive preaching with humility, that what I say is the same as Scripture. The Bible is perfect and inerrant. My interpretation of it is not always perfect. But with a lot of hard work, with study, with preparation, with prayer, I labor to make sure that what I teach you on any given Sunday is sound biblical wisdom. The kind of biblical wisdom that we should all submit ourselves to, place ourselves underneath. Now in return, as I'm doing the hard work of preparing, you have the hard work of going home Reading Scripture for yourself, studying it, knowing it, prayerfully considering the accuracy of what I have brought to the table to teach. You should be asking constantly, is that according to Scripture? But that work comes with a biblical command to receive all that God says in His Word with humility and meekness. Not being overly impressed by a sense of your own importance. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And He, He will lift you up. Furthermore, I would say receiving preaching or receiving the Word with meekness means that you are self-aware enough to realize, like James says, that it does you no good to listen to preaching without putting what is preached into place. James says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Far be it from us to be hearers of the word only and then to go home and not do what the Bible commands us to do. But the point that James is really driving at here, listen to this, is not that we have some great duty or some great obligation to merely obey what is taught in Scripture and proclaimed from the pulpit. The point of James's work, the whole book, is to remind us, the readers, of the end result of a transformational relationship with God. Not give us a pathway to it. Let me say that a different way. What I mean by that is, James's main concern is that we, people who read it, would understand what happens to them when they look into the perfect law of God and they see Jesus Christ. They're transformed. They're changed. The outside, the actions, the doing, all of that is changed because we end up as we peer upon Christ humbled before a glorious God who truly loves us and who is truly at work within us. James wants his listeners to understand what happens to you because of the faith that you have, not how you get faith. Do you see? And in his book, he describes a transformational life in Christ. Let me try and say it one other way. James is what you do now that you have Jesus, not what you do to get Jesus. And so to receive the preaching of the word with humility is to ultimately make ourselves low before God himself, asking the question, what has God declared in his perfect word? And how should that shape and transform my life? Second, we should receive preaching with expectation. I know that a bookstore is hard to find these days. Uh, The only one I'm aware of still around is up in Scottsdale near my seminary. But if you go into that Barnes & Noble, do you know what the largest section of books is? It's the self-help section. 
But think about this. If self-help really worked, how many self-help books would we need? Wouldn't one or two of them be sufficient? The reason why there's such a market for self-help books is because they don't work. If you go read a self-help book, you should not do that with any expectation that you will experience real, meaningful, lasting change. I encourage you to think about one month from now when your New Year's resolutions are no longer applicable to your life. But not so with the Word of God. As you read it and you consume it and you hear it preached, you should have expectation that it will change you profoundly. In Isaiah 55, God promises that where his word goes forth, it will accomplish everything that he intends for it to accomplish. And God intends for his word to train his people in righteousness. That's what it says in 2 Timothy so that through the scriptures we might be equipped for every good work that God has commanded us to do. So as we sit and we listen to the teaching of scripture, as we read our Bibles, as we gather together in Bible studies, and we sit under the instruction of those whom God has gifted to teach and preach in the church, we should eagerly expect that we will be changed. Even if that's a gradual, lifelong process, We should submit ourselves to His Word with expectation. So let me ask you a question. If God promises that His Word will accomplish all that He intends it to do, and 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that God intends for Scripture to train us in righteousness, if the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is being done faithfully and it doesn't lead to transformation in our lives, what's the problem? Is the problem God? Is the problem God's Word? Or is the problem with us and our listening skills and our obedience? Obviously, the problem is not with God, so we have to go looking for a different answer. So I just want you to understand that we should expect that as we sit under the teaching of Scripture in any format, preaching, reading the Bible, Bible study, etc., God is using that time to train us in righteousness if we have ears to hear. And what's the primary way that God will train us in righteousness? What is the apex, the summation of righteousness? Well, I believe... It'll be growing in our capacity to obey the greatest commandment. That is, sitting under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God will grow our affection for God. If we have ears to hear, then God will use the preaching that we listen to and submit ourselves to that comes from His Word to make us into greater lovers of God. And this is why when Paul offers his great prayer for the church at Ephesus, He says this, read along with me because I put it in your notes. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I realize that's a lot because Paul is the king of run-on sentences. But when Paul says here that he wants the church in Ephesus to be rooted and grounded in love, is he talking about obedience to the greatest commandment? Or is he talking about the love of God for his children? In other words, is Paul talking about our love for God here? Or is Paul talking about God's love for us here? Well, shouldn't we see it as both? Are those two things really separable? God's love for us and our love for God? Isn't it God's love for us that enables us to love Him in return and obey His commands? Isn't it the love of God that grounds us in this new identity that we have as lovers of God and children of God? After all, Scripture says, we love because He first loved us. So we should expect that as we come under the teaching of God's Word, our affection for God will grow. We will love Him more because our understanding of His love for us will deepen. And as we comprehend to a greater degree His incomprehensible love, our affection for Him will blossom and will swell. We will love Him more. We will desire Him more. We will seek Him more. We will abide in Him more. We will obey Him more consistently. All of these things are things that we should expect to take place in our hearts and our minds as we're transformed by Scripture. Next, we should receive preaching with a sense of responsibility. This is a twofold responsibility. First, it is the responsibility to do what we have been taught. Again, James is wonderful for this. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of God's word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The Bible teaches that to whom much has been given, much will be required. Meaning that those of us who know the truth that is proclaimed through the teaching of God's Word, we have a great responsibility not just to hear it, but to live by it. What good is it for you to show up week after week to church only to leave and not be changed by the power of the gospel? What good is it to hear the good news of the gospel preached and proclaimed only to fail to step into what God is promising in that? In fact, it is no good at all. I would say it is actually more like a curse. Do you understand? Because for those of us who submit ourselves to the teaching of Scripture, who hear what the Bible says and then refuse to accept responsibility to live it out in our lives, we are actually worse off because of our refusal to obey it. We heap condemnation upon ourselves when we do that because we acknowledge the truth and refuse to live by it. And so hear me clearly. If you listen to preaching and you don't implement the wisdom of God's Word into your daily living, you are heaping condemnation 
upon your head because of your hard-heartedness. To hear the Word of God, but, but not listen to it and obey. What excuse will you have when you stand before God and He asks you, why did you hear and not choose to obey? So to show up here week after week and to listen to preaching is to place yourself under a great responsibility to live according to the commands of God's Word. This is one of the reasons why we have things going on throughout the rest of the week because I don't want to just send you out and say good luck with that. No, gather with others. Be in fellowship with others who can help you. But there's one more important aspect of this which is your responsibility to call others to repent and believe. Preaching ought to remind us of our responsibility to tell other people the simple gospel. Christ died. He rose again. Repent and believe, and you will be saved. We have a responsibility to encourage others to place their trust in Jesus Christ and to believe. Listen to this. In Ezekiel, God tells his prophet to bring a word of truth to his people. And he says to his prophet that if the prophet fails to go and deliver that word of truth, then the blood of those people will be on Ezekiel's hands. But if he proclaims, if Ezekiel obeys and the people don't believe, then Ezekiel bears no responsibility for their unbelief. I think that this is an approximate application for us here. I think it's fair to say that since God has done such a great work for us to give us grace, to save us from sin, we dare not keep our mouths shut and fail to let our worship and our thanksgiving be heard among our neighbors and the nations. If people refuse to accept the gospel, so be it. We can't change that. But let us never fail in our responsibility to testify to the excellence of Jesus, to the beauty of Christ, with all of our words and all of our deeds. Preaching should remind us that God saved us for a purpose, that we might be a light that shines in this dark world, that some might come to that light and be saved for His glory. We're called to be witnesses through our lives, through our words, through our obedience, and through our love. So let us take that responsibility too with a weight of seriousness. Finally, truly finally, I just want to say that my greatest desire, my loftiest goal each and every time that I preach is that you might see Jesus. The glory of His gospel to grow in a simple love for Him. I mean, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if that doesn't lead you to love Jesus, what is the point? You can have all the theology of the angels themselves, but if it doesn't lead you to love Jesus, so what? You can have all of the obedience to God's law like the Pharisees did, But if it doesn't make your heart burn with affection for Christ, it's pointless. If you give up everything for Christianity, but you're not driven to do that by a love for Jesus, for your Savior, then you have wasted everything. All preaching 
should lead us to a greater dependency upon the mercy of Jesus. It should fill us with joy to comprehend His love. Our souls should be overwhelmed by the mystery of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Profound peace should wash over our spirit because we have entered into the rest of God where the love of Christ covers every sin and makes us children, beloved children of God. You know, there's a reason why John 3.16 has become such a well-known and often proclaimed verse. Because it helps us see the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes I, I almost want to avoid it because it's used so much, but isn't it so precious and beautiful? It helps us see Jesus in all his glory, doesn't it? For God loved the world in this incredible way that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thanks be to our God, who has allowed us to see the beauty of Christ Jesus. Thanks be to our God, who has given us the church and the proclamation of the gospel, that we might be constantly reminded of this truth. Thanks be to our God, who has preserved his word throughout all of history, so that we might be taught together what a good God he is. And what a privilege we have to be called by His name. Thanks be to our God who has given us His Holy Spirit that we might do His will with joy and gladness. And thanks be to our God who loved us first that we might grow in love and affection for Him. Let me pray. God, we do give You thanks. We've only scratched the surface in all of the reasons that we have to proclaim your greatness and your glory and your majesty. Eternity itself will not be enough time to exclaim our gratitude to you. And God, I pray that as we go into this next year, 2019, that, that we would rightly submit ourselves to the teaching of your word that we would grow in love and affection for you, that we would not be hearers of your word only, but that we would be doers, that we would be humbled before you, that we would be filled with joy in the truth of the gospel. Lord, would you continue to change and transform us through the preaching of your word, we pray. Amen.